Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, this, this priest who goes before us and makes intercession even as he lays down his own life as sacrifice and then leads us in the way of abundant living. Help us to keep our eyes on him this morning, we pray in his name, amen. Well, have you ever, the answer is gonna be yes. (laughs) Have you ever felt the burden and pressure of a big project, needing to get a big project done, a big assignment? And have you ever, I hope the answer is yes, felt the satisfaction and exhilaration of completing that project, of of getting it done well? Last week, as we were uh, talking about the book of Jonah again, I remembered a project I had in seminary. Um, The assignment on paper seemed simple. It was like one line, develop a six-week Bible study in the book of Jonah with study guides, handouts, illustrations, and small group questions. That was quite a project. Felt really good to get that done. And I'm reminded, too, of uh, a time further back uh, when I worked in in a research lab, and we had a team that put together a proposal to try to get a project approved by the Department of Energy. And even though we were all out of college, we felt like a bunch of college kids as we stayed up late, got it done the day before, and had to ship it FedEx so it was was due the next day. And we got the grant. So that was fun. This morning, we're going to look at the book of Exodus, and we'll see that God's people are given a, a big project. It's a complicated project. And they found a great deal of satisfaction in getting the job done. The book of Exodus begins with God's people enslaved in Egypt. They cry out to God for deliverance, and God provides a deliverer for them in the person of Moses. He calls to Moses from burning bush and says, you're going to be the one to go to the Pharaoh of Egypt and secure the freedom and and deliverance of my people. And we see that as God delivers his people through mighty works and miraculous plagues, that he eventually leads them through the waters of the Red Sea in one more miracle. And in those same waters that have been parted for the passing of God's people come crashing down on their pursuing enemies. And they catch their breath. They breathe a sigh of relief. But little do they know, they are entering a long period of some tough lessons. God used the next 40 years in the life of his people to demonstrate to his people, to instill in them lessons of what it means to be God's people. Out in the desert, they learn some tough stuff about being whole and holy and being called by God's name. As Pastor Chris Chris mentioned recently, as we looked at the book of Exodus in our staff meeting, the people had been in in Egypt for 430 years. So after God brought them out of Egypt, he had to work at getting Egypt out of his people. And that's what those 40 years were about. And as part of that retraining and recentering, God gave instructions to Moses as he called Moses up onto the high and holy mountain, Mount Sinai, gave instructions to his people through Moses that would go on to become called the law, this kind of roadmap to a life well-lived that honors God 
and that honors one another made in God's image. And as the people received the law, it was read to them, and their response was apparently universal. They said, we're in. We'll do this. And the rest of the book of Exodus is kind of how that went and all the ups and downs of their very mixed bag of success. And then in Exodus 25, we see that God called Moses back up onto onto Mount Horeb, the same place where he had been given that first installation of the law, including the Ten Commandments. He called Moses back up, and we read there, beginning in Exodus 25, verse 1, that the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Those would be uh, pieces used in worship by the priests. And then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God gives Moses on the mountain instructions for the people to to put together this, this tent, this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, the place that would serve as the center of worship for the people of Israel as they traveled through the desert following God. And the instructions are really quite detailed. There are seven chapters of instructions about how to put this sanctuary together. Exodus 25 through 31 provide clear instructions for the assembly of the tent itself, for the construction of the table, the lampstand, the altar where burnt offerings were made, the altar of incense, how to make the garments for the priests. God gave instructions for the crafting of the Ark of the Covenant, the gold-covered chest that would reside in the holiest place within that tabernacle, where God himself was said to dwell. Now, maybe at some point you have had to put together a very complicated tent using written instructions. I look at that, it it seems like a nightmare. I'm getting sweaty just kind of thinking about it. But I assure you, I assure you, the tent that the Israelites put together was much more complicated than what you see here. There are a lot of details in those seven chapters, details about specific precious stones and where they should go, certain types of wood and how it was to be used, precious metals. Uh, There were no charts, but everything was given in words with the specific dimensions and instructions. It must have been a bit mind-boggling. But I think if we get too caught up in those details of the seven chapters, we might run the risk of missing the purpose for this tabernacle. God told Moses, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. This wasn't just a test. This wasn't how well do you follow instructions. This was God saying, I I want you to get ready. I want to live among you, and here's how I want you to get ready for when I show up. God's desire is to dwell among his people. He longs to be near them, to live with them. And then Exodus chapters 35 through 39, if you were to read them through, you'd say, hey, hey, wait a minute, this could actually be summarized in one verse. This could simply say the people built the tabernacle exactly as they had been told. Because that's what they did. 
But in Scripture, we find five chapters explaining in detail how the people faithfully followed God's instruction in the instructions in the construction of this tabernacle, how they put together its decorations and furnishings. These chapters explain how the people gave generously. I don't know if you noticed, God's instructions said, as the people's hearts are moved to give, or as they're prompted to give, here's what you should collect. We see stories of people using their skills, their craftsmanship beautifully and with joy and devotion, giving their very best to this project. And we see from these five chapters that God apparently deeply values his people's obedience. He honors people who follow his commands and instructions. Faithful obedience matters. And then in Exodus 40, the very last chapter of Exodus, we read that the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting on the first day of the first month. Place the ark of the covenant law in it and shield the ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the ark of the covenant law and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it, consecrate it and its furnishings, and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father so they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. So it'd be the second year since they crossed the Red Sea. Passover marked the beginning of a new calendar for them. So this is one year after their successful escape by God's hand from Egypt. So the Israelites had come through. They'd follow the instructions to the letter. I can only imagine the satisfaction they felt as they, they stepped back and looked at this beautiful tabernacle, the intricacy of what had been, been put into this, this labor of love, this joyful gift of worship to God. The tabernacle was complete. And then we read the final words of the book of Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. And that's how the book of Exodus ends. So we see that when God, 
fulfills his promise to come and live among his people. On that holy day, even Moses, the one person on earth who had been allowed to come up into the cloud and meet with God on Mount Sinai, even Moses can't enter the tabernacle that day. What's going on there is simply too powerfully holy. But it wouldn't always be that way. If we read the book of Leviticus, we see that there are complicated, elaborate rules for how the priests would go about their duties, how they would enter into the tabernacle and perform sacred duties on behalf of the people. We'd see how people would be called to gather and worship in the courtyard of the, of the tabernacle. We're told how the high priest and the high priest alone could enter the holy of holies that held the Ark of the Covenant. This tabernacle was a deeply sacred, deeply holy place but it was also a residence, and we can't miss that. This tabernacle's purpose was the place where God would dwell with God's people. The place that even by existing in, in physical form was, was proof that God desired to be with the people he formed and loved and called by his name. The tent was a sign of God's presence and faithfulness. Hundreds of years later, King David, we're told, one day would, would say aloud that it made no sense for him to live in a castle while the Lord lived in a tent. At that time, in the days of David, the tabernacle was still in use. It was still the center of worship for the, uh, the people of Israel, but it no longer moved around. It had come to find a permanent place located in the plains outside the capital city, Jerusalem, where David lived in a palace. And David thought the tabernacle wasn't good enough for God. So his, his idea was to construct a regal temple that seemed more fitting. And we read in 2 Samuel 7 that God said to David through the prophet Nathan, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with with a tent as my dwelling, wherever I have moved with the, all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And so we see that even though God had been very deliberate and specific in giving the instructions for the, the building of this tabernacle, God says, actually, it really doesn't matter what the walls are made of. That's not what's essential here. What's essential is that I desire to be with my people. I long to dwell with them. If you look at the book of Exodus as a whole, you'll see that more than a third of it has to do with the tabernacle. Apparently, it's really important. It's really central. And the heart of this reason that the tent of meeting is so important is that it demonstrates that God himself tabernacles among us. He tents among us. Without being too irreverent, God wants to camp out with us. He wants to be with us. From the midst of the burning bush, God had spoken to Moses God's name, I am. And he'd given Moses a promise, I will be with you. And so this tabernacle was, was part of the fulfillment of that promise that God would always be with his people. 
But the tabernacle is not the end of that promise. The tabernacle points to the truth that God has always desired to be with his people. From the days that he walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God with us is a theme that threads throughout Scripture. The prophet Isaiah said the coming Messiah would be named Emmanuel, God with us. John wrote in his gospel that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love how Eugene Peterson, in his message paraphrase of the gospel of John, says that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, this one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The same author, John, in his book of the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, writes of a vision of heaven at the end of time as we know it. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. From Genesis to Revelation, the unfolding story is of a God who wants to be with the people he made and loves. We see that he does what it takes to make that happen, whether it's in the garden or out in the desert or through the incarnate in the flesh, Jesus Christ, or at the end of all time as his people gather around his holy throne. And so as we come to the last page of Exodus, we actually find it's kind of a cliffhanger. The people are still in the desert. They've been given this promise of a new land that they will occupy, but they're not there yet. Their journey isn't over, but in a way, they have reached their destination, the presence of God. God is faithful even when his people are not. That's the story of the Bible. God is loving even when his people are not. God does not forsake his people, but wants to be with them. And so this morning, I... I, I want to ask, is, is that your sense of God? If you think about God thinking about you, do you get a sense of God longing for your company, longing that you would be close to him, longing that he would be near to you? Or do you maybe think that God might not want anything to do with you? You may have a sense of yourself that would say, I, I can't imagine God would want to be near me. Or maybe you have a sense of God that maybe is out there somewhere, but doesn't necessarily care about you one way or the other. The story of the Bible is that God knows us, loves us, and longs to be with us. And so this morning, if you're wondering about what God thinks of you, I pray that you would hear the words that God spoke to Moses in that burning bush. I am, and I will be with you. Back in those tabernacle days and then continuing into the days of the temple, we're told that the high priest could enter the holy of holies, that most sacred place, one day a year on the day of atonement. And as we come to this table this morning, I pray that we would somehow get our heads and hearts around the fact that, that we are 
in some ways in an even more holy, intimate place with God. That priest could come into the presence of God once a year and then quietly slip out, walking out backwards. As people who come to faith in Jesus Christ, because of what Christ did on the cross, because of his resurrection victory over death, because of the promise of Christ's spirit dwelling inside of us, as we come to the table, as we find ourselves in God's presence, we find ourselves not only in the presence of a God who is with us, but a God who is within us, as close as can possibly be. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Loving, faithful, with us, for us, God. Thank you for forgiving us when we turn to you after going our own way. Thank you for wanting to be with us because of your love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus to be with us and to make it possible that we might be with you here on earth and for all eternity. Thank you for Jesus for meeting us here at your table and for the gift of your spirit. Amen.